grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, who loves us with a transforming love, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, and from the Spirit who unites us all. Amen. We cannot tire or give up. We owe it to the present and future generations of all species to rise up and walk. These were words spoken by Nobel Peace Prize winner Wangari Mathai. Dr. Mathai was an activist. She fought for human rights and for democracy and for the environment in her home country of Kenya and around the world. She is the founder of the Green Belt Movement, which seeks to fight poverty and to conserve the environment through the planting of trees. Her list of accomplishments and degrees and awards is too long to mention here. But suffice it to say, she lived up to these words of hers. What most people don't know about her is that she was a Christian and a member of an organization called the Legion of Mary, whose mission is to serve God by serving fellow human beings. It was the values of this organization that guided her steps as she broke glass ceiling after glass ceiling and fought for the betterment of all humanity and all of creation. And those values of the Legion of Mary are directly tied to Jesus' reminder that following him means a reversal of the commonly held societal values of getting ahead any way you can. Of course, it's hard for us humans to remember that, to serve our fellow human beings, to not be seduced by those who tell us that we can be great, that we have a right to be great, we deserve to be great, and that greatness will come when we work hard enough, have enough money, have enough power, have enough wherewithal to fight our way to the top and then stay there. When we begin to make security our God instead of the God Almighty our God. And that through that security and that power, we can keep all of those things. We know this is a problem for us human beings because, well... James and John, the sons of Zebedee, also known as the sons of thunder. I feel like there should be like a bomb at that moment. They're called the sons of thunder because of their brashness and their big personalities. And James and John, they decide that they deserve a few things for following Jesus, mainly power. And so they brazenly approached Jesus. And in the most, well, brazen is the only way I think I can think about it, way, they demand that Jesus give them whatever they want. Well, we all know those kinds of people, right? That are just so brazen to ask for what they want. We're those people sometimes. We're encouraged to be those people. Get after it. Go get it. Grab it. So many conversations that I hear, that I have right now, are about what we deserve and how it's somehow within our right to have everything exactly the way we want it, despite what that means for the rest of the world. This 
is James and John. God bless them. And Jesus, you know, he kind of plays along. He says, so what is it that you want, boys? Now, I want to remind you that it wasn't all that long ago, in fact, chapter 9 of Mark, that Jesus had been speaking about his death and resurrection, and the disciples really didn't understand what he was talking about. And instead of asking questions, they begin to argue about who's going to be the greatest among them. And in response to their arguing, Jesus picks up a little child and uses that child as an example of what greatness means in the kingdom of God. And that that moment in chapter 9 is the second time that Jesus has talked about his death and resurrection and the disciples' response is, well, less than stellar. So now here we are in the 10th chapter of Mark and Jesus, in the verses directly preceding what we heard Peggy read today, talks about, you guessed it, his death and resurrection for a third time. And he tells them this because he has just done some really difficult teachings. You've heard Pastor Stanton and I preach on some of those teachings in these past few weeks. And they're amazed at what he's doing, but also afraid because he's really pushing people's buttons. So Jesus is managing their expectations. He's reminding them, again, that he, the Messiah, is not what they've been taught to expect. And that very soon, things are going to get ugly. They're going to get worse before they get better. And James and John, the sons of thunder, choose this moment to approach Jesus. It's almost like they want to make sure to get their request in, just in case this horrible thing that Jesus has just described actually happens. Because they don't really think it's going to happen. Because remember, in Mark especially, the disciples are kind of dense. Which is on purpose because, well... We're kind of dense. So Jesus asks, what do you want? We want to sit, Jesus, one on your right and one on your left when you come into your glory. What? To ask to sit in these positions is to ask for power. These were the right and the left hand, and still are the places for the closest advisors, the ones who have almost as much power as the leader and more than the ones who are below them in this hierarchy. So our belovedly brazen, really confident brothers are asking Jesus for places of power. But not the kind of power that Jesus talks about. This reminds me, as I was reading this this week, of the concept of power from the Kingian way of nonviolence. When we look at power in and of itself, we know that power without its balance, counterpart of love, is corrupt and it destroys. We see that in our world as people seek more and more power but don't have love to balance it out. We see it in ourselves as we seek power for whatever reason it is, 
If it isn't balanced with love, then it destroys. It destroys us, it destroys those we interact with, and it moves, it ripples out. James and John are seeking the kind of power that destroys, not the kind of power that builds up, not the kind of power that Jesus has been teaching about. Jesus, of course, is on to them, right, because Jesus is a smart guy, and with the best kind of bless-your-heart sentiment, asks them if they think they can actually handle the cup that he is about to drink or the baptism that he is about to be baptized, which in the language of the Bible and in theology in the early church is really about death. Are you ready for what's coming? Are you ready for the kind of death, for the mocking, the spitting, the flogging, the killing, which Jesus has just described? Are you ready to receive that? And they say, yes, totally on board, Jesus, and have absolutely no idea what they are saying yes to. But as I was reading that and thinking about their response, I'm like, this is what we teach people to do. It's a business model for startups. Promise really big. Say yes. Be confident and charismatic. Be bold in your ideas and what you're asking for. Get the money and trust of others, and you can figure out the rest later. Jesus, however, will remind these two that what he is about is something completely opposite of what they have just done. And he says to them, well, that's good that you're ready because you will drink of this cup and you will be baptized by this baptism of death. But friends, you won't sit at my right and left hands. Someone else has been prepared for that privilege. Of course, those of us here on this side of the resurrection, we know that at the moment of his death, there will indeed be one on his right and one on his left and they will be promised paradise. But those won't be disciples. They won't be the powerful. They will be the criminals. Which really, friends, is a stark reminder to us all as we seek to fight the temptations to gather as much power as we can, to demand those things we think we deserve, as we seek wealth and status, which I know, I know, it's so easy to say, you know what, we don't do that. I like to think that maybe that I'm not that kind of person, but we really are. We can't help it because the systems that are built around us push us in that direction. Maybe we're not as bold or brazen as our friends James and John, but we certainly do seek powers in our own, perhaps more subtle ways. We seek powers in the ways that we deal with our money, the ways we spend our money. In the conversations that we have, we use our words to seek our own power and our own standing. We use stereotypes to put other people down, you know, them over there, whoever they might be. We seek power in the places that we choose to go or to not go the priorities that we put into place in our lives, all of these are ways that we can and do, because like the disciples, we're kind of dense, seek our own power, our own security. It's insidious, and we can't get away from it. And oftentimes, it's somehow coded in all sorts of goodness, 
but it is still seeking power. And for the sake of our well-being, it's all about us. But it's the criminals, friends, that find themselves at the right and the left hand of Jesus, not the ones who seek power, which is a complete reversal of what the disciples and what we imagine follow Jesus would mean. So in the midst of this conversation that Jesus and James and John are having, you know, there's 10 other disciples, and they hear what Jesus is saying, and they're like, wait, what? Really? I mean, I'd be as equally annoyed. I know all you would be too. Because what the heck? Aren't we all in this together? Haven't we all left people and careers behind? Come on now, James and John. Who do you think you are to be doing this? But Jesus, Jesus is having none of it. None of the arguments, none of the asking for power. I imagine at this point, Jesus has lost some of his godly patience. Perhaps, you know, those patience that he had at the beginning and that first time, and maybe even the second time, and now just is like, erg, I wish you would get it. Please stop. Stop being like the Gentiles and arguing about who is more powerful than the other, as if you're going to somehow use that power to lord it over people or be some kind of horrible tyrant. What are you doing? Because that is not the way. That is not the way of Jesus. And Jesus reminds them that they will be great when they are servants that we will be first when we are slaves, and that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is not here to be served, but to serve, and will give up his life for all, and that we are to emulate that very thing. We don't hear the disciples' reaction, but we certainly can imagine what it was that they were reacting to. I'm sure it would be the same as our own reaction. Like, ugh, really? We have to do that? What if I don't want to? They perhaps wondered what it would be like to be a servant or a slave, not something that they would normally seek out to be, not that any of us would. What would it look like for them to give up their lives? Because they all will. And that sounds less like power and more like a weakness. But the disciples are thinking about power without love. And they're thinking about love without power. Because love without power is weak and passive. It says things like, well, I suppose this is my cross to bear. It lacks any sense of oomph when it doesn't have power. It looks at suffering and sees only how it suffers, not how the world is suffering. It's interesting to me that the story immediately following this one is the story of Bartimaeus the blind man. He too asks Jesus for something. He too is bold, some would say brazen in his approach. He yells out, son of David, have mercy on me. And then people try to silence him and he doesn't let them. He just yells out even louder and Jesus hears him. And in his asking for mercy, it's granted. 
And when he asks for his sight to be restored, it is restored. So how is he different than James and John asking for things from Jesus? I think this is about power as well, but the power of the way Jesus uses it. Jesus uses his power to build up Bartimaeus. Jesus is using his power with love, seeking the well-being of the other, seeing the broken and healing it as only Jesus can. And that kind of power can change the world and does. And this very power, married with love, is the same power that we are called to. Because when you add power to love, you get a new set of eyes, eyes that see the world for what it is, that find the broken and work to make it whole, because that is the power of Jesus in our world. That is power fueled by love, that chooses to give up for the sake of the other, to be a servant for the sake of the other. In the way of nonviolence, this is called either redemptive suffering or conscious discipline, that we would discipline ourselves such that we would choose to give something up, that we would choose to suffer for the sake of others. And it's a suffering, a giving up, a living without so that others may have. It's the way of justice. It's saying, I don't need all of this. So let me give it away so that we all take up the space that we need to take up, that we all have what we need. It's the opposite of what I described earlier when I described the power we're so often encouraged to seek. This power, this way, pairs love and power can move mountains. And this is the powerful love that keeps us going that keeps us rising for the sake of the world, that keeps our mind on the present and the future so that we can do the healing work of God. It's what binds us together so that we can serve each other. And it is this love and power that's behind Jesus' death, which wasn't some kind of weakness of Jesus's, but in fact, very intentional, chosen means of granting salvation and freedom to humanity. This is the love that we are called to, the love that chooses the harder way for the sake of a broken world. This is the love that has fueled so many of the justice workers that precede us, like Wangari Mathai, It's the fuel for the value statements that we as a church are beginning to gather around, to welcome all, to be community, to serve our neighbor. That's what it looks like here for us at First Lutheran, to be powerful in the love that we show. It is, in fact, our very breath and our life as we seek to follow Jesus in the way of powerful love that sees with new eyes. But friends, it is indeed the harder way. There is so much out there that pulls us away from the way of Jesus, that calls us to seek only what we need and not what the world needs. And so I invite you today, for this week, to the discipline of seeing, 
to be asking yourself questions as you encounter whatever it is that you encounter this week. How am I showing the power of God's love in this moment? Or how am I showing the power of the world's love in this moment? But to ask those questions of yourself so that together we can see ourselves and the world with new eyes and seek to work for the love of Jesus so that all will know God's abundant love. Amen.